Good morning. It's really good to be here with you. Uh, as Michael said, coming all the way from Salem, um, in my position over there, I work at uh, Salem Alliance Church, if anyone knows the church over there. And I function as, we have a ministry training school. So uh, I'm a professor there, and my official title is Student Development Director, which is kind of like a dean of students. And then on the side of the church, which is in partner with the school, I am a teaching pastor. So in some ways, I'm used to preaching, but in many ways, I'm used to the classroom. So this may feel like you're being taught a lecture, um, but hopefully it's not so much that way. Uh, but really excited to be here with you. And I, this place really has a special place in my heart um, for my brother and his family and this being their home. And when we come here to visit, this tends to be our oasis uh, as a place for us to rest and to hear God's word and to really worship with people like you. And so I want to thank you for that gift that you've given us in that. And uh, by me, I mean me and my, uh, my girlfriend's the one who was singing here. That is Greta over there. So, <laughs> so. well, let's begin. Uh, what I've titled this sermon is Healing Presence. Life together as a healing presence. Before I begin, as we've all gone through the seasons of the COVID years, I'm sure many of us have been forced to make an opinion about how we approach sickness and health. Now, trust me, this isn't a sermon about ranting or supporting vaccines or what have you. It's not the place for this pulpit. But it's been interesting to think through how I've approached healing and sickness and wellness. When is the time to go to the hospital? What classifies as an injury? What are the go-to family remedies? We all have a slight bent on how we approach healing and wellness. I grew up with Hispanic parents, so pretty much anything could be fixed with Vicks Vapor Rub, Sprite, rubbing alcohol, and caldo de res, which only those parents over there know what that is, but it's basically soup. Rarely did we ever go to the hospital or take medicine, but again, this wasn't because we didn't believe in medicine or the medical field. Sure, primarily it was economical choice. Uh, My guess, or being the research nerd that I am, This thought also made me consider how different countries and cultures approach healing and wellness. Reading one article, I found a great diversity of systems of medicine, and with that, a comparable diversity of models and metaphors for healing. Common practices would include medicine, manipulations of the body through touch and gestures, religious practices, or rituals and ceremonies that incorporate words, music, even costumes, theatrical devices. Some approaches solely involve the afflicted individual and the healer, while others would include the participation of a whole community, a family, a group. You might think that's quite primitive, but it's not. It's just different. The other question that could be different is how we answer the effectiveness of our approach. As it relates to our healing system and practice, how do we answer the question, does it actually really work? For example, 
One may find success if the afflicted person recovers, while others emphasize not necessarily the recovery, but the greater good of the family and community. And lastly, the success is if the system of medicine itself is affirmed. Our Western context usually relies on this last one. And I want you to think about this question, primarily in our Western context, which finds its effectiveness in the science of our medicine and healthcare system. If our primary approach to healing and wellness is scientific, then could it be that there would be no room in our minds for God and his people to be in that process? So then, there comes a question that bears an answer. What is the way God wants us to approach healing? And again, how would God answer the effectiveness of healing, especially when we ask for physical healing and don't receive it? I believe our text this morning that not only James gives us a biblical perspective for healing, but also how to create the space to receive it. Our passage will show how we are to invite the power and presence of God's healing touch within his community. So please, if you would, turn your Bibles to James chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 13. And if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen for you to read. Verse 13, chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This is the word of the Lord. As we see it here, James, in describing the ecclesiastical order of healing, summons the wider church to a new model. In doing life together, we invite God's healing touch through our prayers, our confession, and his presence. Our prayers, confession, and his presence. So let us begin prayer, the posture for healing, of healing. As most commentators would agree, the primary word that brings this passage into cohesion is prayer. In the passage of six verses, prayer is used seven times through three Greek words. All three Greek words could sum up the definition of prayer in this way, communication and communion with God, which could include a request, supplication, 
thanksgiving, praise, hymns, and lament. In our passage, there are four uses of the verb prayer, to pray, and they're at least used in four distinct ways. Prayer as a response to suffering. Prayer as a response to illness. To link prayer with our confessions. And by way of an example in the Old Testament, to exalt appropriate prayer as powerful and effective. One final note on the word prayer. In verses 13 and 16, the verb to pray in the Greek is what's known as an imperative present tense, which often signifies a continuous action, which would allow one to translate, let us continually pray. Let us continually give praises. It seems that James's concern is that our posture is in effect on our knees in prayer in all times. Healing first begins with our posture. And as one author puts it, perhaps this is the first thing we should note about the practice of prayer. It is a practice that makes us a people who refuse to settle for appearances. Or to put it otherwise, it makes us people who always see that there's more going on than meets the eye. So prayer not only realigns our posture, it shapes our perspective when we receive God's response to our request. I'm sure many of us in this room would recognize the importance of physical posture. As you sit in this room, some of you may be hunching your backs over. Others may be sitting up straight. Others may be sleeping. Uh, when we work out, we play sports, sit in our office job, which is a lot, of us, a lot more of us now, or even when we sleep. This one website known as Healthline notes these benefits of good posture. Reduce lower back pain, fewer headaches, increase energy levels and lung capacity, improve digestion, which is definitely what I need, better forms in workouts, that one's for Sergio. Appearing taller and increased confidence. Okay, those last two seem like a verbal attack for myself. I know I need to have good posture. I do not want to be any shorter than 5'6". If posture is such of importance to our physical bodies, what could the posture of prayer benefit our soul? Could it be that in our posture of prayer, the benefits are intimacy with God, less anxiety, reducing fear, gaining an understanding of God's will, avoiding the temptation of sin, and maybe, just maybe, physical and emotional healing. So I ask you, does your posture need realignment in order to receive God's healing touch. This moves us to our next phase. Confession, the practice for healing. In verse 16, there seems to be an interplay with both our healing journey and our confession of sin. But confession? How do my physical ailments and my unconfessed sin play into this question? First, we must remember and always know 
that not every sickness is a cause of sin. The book of Job, Jesus himself in John chapter 9 teaches us that. Yet we also know that from Scripture, and to some extent our experiences, that our physical health can be affected by sin. Note that this, in some ways, is where James is redefining the act of healing. In the first century context, the separation between physical, spiritual, and emotional is just not as clean as it is in the contemporary world. It seems that James might be pushing us towards a holistic view of healing that sees a connection both to the external and internal. So could it be that in our vulnerability with God and with each other, we experience freedom, forgiveness, and possibly physical healing? Stick with me for a sec. Of this passage, Dallas Willard once said, we must accept the fact that unconfessed sin is a special kind of burden or an obstruction in the psychological as well as the physical realities of a believer's life. The discipline of confession and forgiveness removes that burden. Thus, confession affects not only our spiritual state, but also our physical bodies. This may be why, in some ways, although afraid, we desire confession. We desire to bring things into the light. Although strange, the communal space, this place right here, of confession allows us to have fellowship with one another. And more importantly, it enables you and I to be fully known and loved within a new family. It makes confession bearable, fellowship, a pathway towards healing. There's something interesting about people desiring to want to confess. It's almost as if it's a natural response. A while ago, there was a craze of anonymous confession groups on Facebook and Twitter. Let me read you some of these confessions Number one, as I was struggling to sell an old Land Rover, a friend of a friend was interested, but was worried about the fuel economy. I let him borrow it for a week, but every night I sneaked up in his driveway and poured a couple of liters of patrol into his tank. He bought it that next week. This next one. One Christmas, I decided to buy my girlfriend jewelry, and so I got her a necklace and a ring. She opened the ring, burst into tears and said, yes, and phoned her parents and said, we're engaged. I couldn't break her heart. Been unintentionally married for 10 years. (laughs) This last one. We had twins a year ago. When they were about three months old, I gave them both a bath without making sure who was who. My daughter might actually be her sister. As humorous as these are, it speaks to a phenomenon. We need to confess. We desire to confess. But fear and shame, condemnation and judgment pull us away. Largely, this is due to church culture 
at times. We, as the people of God, we need to rediscover the beauty of confession and the freedom and forgiveness found in it. So my question is, does your heart, you, does your heart feel the pull to experience the freedom found in confession? This leads us to our last stage, presence, the power in healing. How do we invite the power of God into our space? As we see in the text, James calls the elders to come around the ill person to be prayed over and anoint them with oil. But why the elders, you might ask? Well, elders are spiritual leaders who are recognized for their maturity in the faith. Therefore, they have a deep, rich experience. It is natural for them to be called to pray for healing. Should they be able to discern the will of the Lord and pray with a faith that recognizes and receives the gift of God's healing? For the elders in this church, I don't know who you are, but I'm looking at you. Elders in this church, recognize your authority given by God. Notice that the individuals called, called to this person are not those with the gift of healing or even the apostles, but the church's elders, the community to which one belongs to. Uh, second question is, why the anointing with oil? Anointing frequently symbolized the consecration of people and things for God's use in his service. In the Old Testament, the same could be said in the New, which is expanded. And then he recommending the elders to anoint the sick person could show that this is to vividly show the person is being set apart for God's special attention in prayer. One final thing is the prayer of the righteous person, like Elijah. Elijah's story illustrates that an unrelent that the story illustrates the power of faith and persistence. Like Elijah, our pow- power comes through our prayers of faith, an unrelenting invitation to God to meet us in that moment. And of course, prayers don't guarantee healing. We know this, we've experienced it, we've felt it. But what this passage does teach us is that they have power. I'll say that one more time. Our prayers have power. Okay, this might be a very cheesy youth pastor illustration, but it may be necessary. Consider the famous franchise Power Rangers. These are young teenagers who, although athletic and skilled, do not possess the power without their suits. They might have had the high skill of hand-to-hand combat, but did not possess the enhanced strength, durability, agility, and even accessible weapons to their disposal. So what do I mean? Sheer willpower and strength are not enough. The scripture is clear that prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 
the reality is, is that the power has a source. We must recognize that the power, that that power is intimacy with God and his people. This does not mean we magically are able to get everything we want or heal every individual we come across. But what it does mean is that even if God is unwilling to heal, the power of God's presence, our community, is the strength and comfort needed to sustain our faith. It's the strength and comfort needed to sustain our faith. So my question to you is, do you believe? Do you believe that you, as God's community, possess this sort of power? As James nears the end of his letter, one of the very last petitions he leaves his readers is that they be defined as a community of prayer and healing. It seems fitting that a church would stand out as a space for healing in a world marked by brokenness. So then how are we to do this? How are we to be a place for healing? Here's my application for all of you in this room, Redeemer. As you meet together in community groups, on Sunday mornings, be a church that prays in this way. First, pray together. Move beyond the comfort of solitary prayer and allow space for you to receive and give intercessory prayer. Second, pray for healing. Be vulnerable with God and your community for your greatest needs, whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual healing. And lastly, pray for God's presence. Know that our strength as a community matures and grows through real-life encounters with a living God. Pray together. Pray for healing. And pray for God's presence. And as I close, I'd like to end with my own healing journey. It's not necessarily physical, but it wasn't too long ago that I was in a really dark spot, clouded with confusion, real sense of disappointment. I was actually living back home with my brother and his sister for a while. I'm sure they loved having me there. To give you some context, I was recently laid off from my job. I had left my master's program early. I had a failed engagement and failed in my convictions. And all of a sudden, my life and what seemed to be the biggest dreams I had were now realized as a Safeway baker, not as a pastor as I'd hoped. And in the deepest sense, what I felt was worthless, ashamed, and hopeless. You see, at this moment, my life experienced a cloud and a storm of what was perceived as unredeemable failures. 
It was at the same time that I decided to join a prayer group, men's prayer liturgy group. Um, for those of you who are familiar with the churches in Bend, this was actually at Antioch Church. I decided to join because I needed something. I needed something to get me out of bed. I needed something to make me feel like I had any sort of significance. Three months into our sessions, one of the church's pastors decided to switch the routine. We usually would read prayers, uh, pre-written prayers together, which would take like around 30 minutes. At the end of the prayer, we would read a psalm of the day. Instead of reading the psalm of the day for this particular session, I was asked, hey, why don't you share your story? What great timing. So I did, unfiltered, raw. I expressed everything I had, had gone through that last year. Every lie, every shame, every sense of hopelessness I felt. And as I was going along speaking to the elders, one of them proceeded to ask, Hey, can we anoint your head with oil? Sure. I guess. You see, he had bought an a, uh, oil from an Eastern Orthodox priest, which is a whole other story, too long to get into. But of course, my mind, very strange. But I awkwardly accepted. Slowly, each elder in the room came by, pressing their finger on my forehead with oil. And it was as if every finger that laid on my forehead, God was whispering into my soul, my son, in whom I am well pleased. If I'm honest, before it was over, I still thought it was extremely strange. But as soon as I got in my car, I shut the door, every wave of emotion hit me. And I started to sob. And you might be asking, what's going on with you? I knew what was happening. God was after me. And three months into consistently reading these prayers, this was the first time I believed them. And in somewhat a mystical and personal way, God overwhelmed me with love and reaffirmed me in my call and as his son. And using the members of this prayer group, they spoke God's love over me and healed me, allowed me to step out of my space of shame and to be embraced by the healing presence of God. And that's what we have in this room. We have the power and the presence of God to heal emotional, physical, spiritual, that is promised to us. So Redeemer, life together is wild. It's crazy. It's fun. But it's also restorative. And that's why we come here. Let us pray.
Father, we open our bodies to you. And as I see each individual sitting, we know that you know their history, you know their situation, you know their hurts, their pains, and we ask boldly, would you meet us here? And would your spirit gently touch with a word, a picture, a miracle? Would you meet us? And would you heal us? In whatever way that looks. And would we be reaffirmed you are a loving Father? So in your name we pray. Jesus come. Father of heaven. Amen. Thank you.